Welcome everyone. I'm so incredibly happy and excited to have my friend Tanya Greer, who is a very well-known makeup artist, to join us here on the podcast today. I want to do a little introduction about Tanya. She's known for her natural and flawless look. And she's not just a very close friend of mine, but she's also an incredibly talented makeup artist with a wealth of experience from uh, working with fashion magazines from Vogue to Harper's Bazaar, working with many famous brands from Sisley to She Can Tell Us Even More, and a very world-famous clientele, which includes Laura Bailey, Poppy Delevingne, Emma Thompson, Jemima Khan, and myself. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here with us today. I want to ask you, like, I know you very well, but to our listeners, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and the journey that led you to become a makeup artist and where you are today? Sure. Well, thank you, Mary, for very kind introduction, very flattering introduction. Uh, hi, everyone. Um, yes. Yeah, so I, oh gosh, it was sort of a strange, strange journey for me for makeup. Uh, makeup was Plan B, basically. Plan A. I've been performing since I was very young, uh, growing up in Scotland, and got into theatre and absolutely loved it. And the next thing I know, but actually, both my sister and I were acting for a while. And uh, that obviously when you're younger, you think, well, that's what you love, that's your passion and that's what you're always going to do, you know, in your head. <laughs> so that was my plan. And I just loved being on stage and, you know, the whole business, basically. Then I spent some time in New York and I was still sort of performing when I was out there and met some lovely friends who are still good friends today. And um, it wasn't until I came back to London a few years later where a really good friend of mine, who happened to be with me in New York as well, uh, had landed into this sort of photography world. And uh, he was doing really well back in London at the time. And he said to me, you know, I know that you love the acting and I, I know that you're really passionate about it. He said, but it's such a tough, tough business. And he said, I think you should have a plan B. And I said, oh, okay, why would I need a plan B? <laughs> and he said, because it's a really hard business, especially for females. You know, when you get too old, nobody wants to hire you and all the work dries up. He said, what are you going to do then? And I actually really never had thought about it in that sort of way. And because, you know, when you're young, you just kind of keep going with it and you think, well, there's going to be a break at some point. You get your big break and everything. So he sort of planted it in, in my mind. And I said, well, I don't know what else I would do. I don't really know what else I'm, I'm good at, you know. But I'd always been painting when I was younger and I had thought about going to Glasgow Art School for a while. That was another kind of idea sort of on the side, something I love to do. I was always sort of doing little bits of artwork and tearing things up and making new things and, you know, much to everyone's annoyance, <laughs> tearing up hats and making new hats and things like that. So anyway, uh, long story short, uh, pretty much just to shut him up one day, I said, OK, fine, fine let me just come with you and he said look all I want you to do is come on set with me hang out you can help the makeup artist you know she has an assistant but you can be her second assistant and you can you know clean her brushes or whatever it is she wants you to do and I said fine fine I'll go I'll go and I had no intention really of enjoying it or ever doing it again and I thought I'm just going to do this to keep him quiet so off I went 
And the first job was for a, a huge, this, this was the first day of assisting and it was for a huge big campaign for Gossard lingerie. And there were six models and I didn't realize it was such a big deal because all the posters were on the you know, billboards for months and months afterwards. So off I went and uh, as the sort of second assistant and I thought, well, I'm just going to make some coffee for her and clean her brushes and, you know. So at this point, I just, I wasn't even someone that wore a lot of makeup. I wasn't really into makeup that much. I liked, you know, skincare. I was definitely interested in skincare, but I wasn't someone that was always like massively into makeup. So she said to me, um, right, now you just do, you just do this girl's foundation and mascara and then, you know, uh, this girl help with this. And before I knew it, I was doing makeup, like actual makeup. And I looked at her at one point and I said, look, I don't think, <laughs> I think you're confused because I really have never done this before. This is my first day ever doing anything like this. I said, I don't even really, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. And she said, don't worry, I'll just hand you things and then you just, you know, put them on the face, it's fine. And she was so casual about it. I was like, oh, okay, fine. <laughs> so the next thing I know, it's 6 p.m. and the shoot's over and it was a full-on day. And I just thought, actually, that was really good fun because it was, it was like being on set, on a film set or a TV set except it was, you know, stills, it was photography, obviously, so it was different. But for me, it was like an extension of being sort of, it was behind the camera, what I was used to. I'm sorry, in front of the camera. This time it was all behind the camera. So it was actually quite nice because there was no pressure. Mm -hmm. So obviously, as a makeup artist or a hairstylist, you, your pressure is to make the other person feel good and look good. Whereas when you're performing your pressure you know the pressure for you is to learn your lines turn up be good you know play the part right and all those sort of things and, and look the way that they want you to look so I sort of realized I thought oh that was quite good fun actually I didn't expect it to go so quickly it was really good fun and I thought well maybe this is something that I could do on the side for a while you know as a backup for later so she asked me if I wanted to kind of assist eventually. I said, yes, okay, whenever I'm not doing any, you know, castings or things like that. It was a weird slow progression and it took about two years of assisting on and off whenever I was able to, to finally realise that I actually really enjoyed it. And it got to the stage where I was kind of thinking, I, I quite like this. <laughs> I could be good at it if I really stuck in there and learnt and got the experience and concentrated. But I couldn't do both. I mean, you really can't do you really can't do both those careers properly. You have to focus on one. It, it was tough, but eventually I decided, um, okay, I'm going to give up. I'm going to give up the, all the acting, and I'm just going to focus on this and see if it works. And I, I kind of gave myself a week to see if I would, if it was really the right thing to do. And I remember saying to my sister, I said, if the phone doesn't ring after a week and nobody calls me for jobs, <laughs> then it's probably not a good idea. It's just not meant to be. So I kind of put it out there to the universe and I, I said, um, you know, if this is going to be what I want to do, then uh, somebody's going to call me for a job at some point, you know. And on the seventh day on the Sunday night, wow. I was thinking, all right, well, maybe I really should just keep it the acting because the makeup's not probably going to work. It's not meant to be. And on the Sunday night before the, you know, the deadline, uh, a friend of mine, Lindsay, called me and he'd been sort of assisting at the same time as I was assisting. He was a photographer. And he said, um, I've got a shoot on Tuesday. Um, do you fancy doing it with me? Whoa. I like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So then that, that job on that, on the Tuesday ended up being years and years and years of working with this photographer who's, who's now a good friend of mine. And it actually, the client 
on that first job I ended up working with for 10 years. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I got goosebumps just hearing you say it this. Crazy, it's crazy, crazy. And the only reason it stopped is because the, the marketing girl, she went off to have a baby and didn't come back for two years. And then someone else came in. Then they rebranded the entire um, advertising concept and everything. They, they changed the whole team in terms of all the production people. And with that usually goes the team of photographers and hair and makeup and everything. So that's the only reason it stopped. But it was 10 years with that first, uh, first you know, proper client so yeah that's amazing you really yeah. followed you know you you went with the flow but like almost the flow of the universe you exactly. were trying to to push it it's amazing yeah yeah I never I never really pushed it I kind of just thought you know what if it's meant to be and as what happens in a lot of industries not just not just our industry I mean you've been in fashion as well it's um it's like a domino effect so what would happen is you would do a job with a photographer and they, then maybe you meet a stylist and then she maybe got a shoot coming up. So she becomes a new a new kind of, you know, client or a colleague or whatever um, or sort of ambassador for you or something. And then through that, you'll meet someone else. So it, it's like a little domino effect. Um, and before you know it, I think it was it took me about four years, I would say, to have a client base and to feel comfortable enough that I could do this properly. You know. How did you build your client base? I, I know you mentioned the photographers a little bit, but how did you build it even further? You can't, You kind of just, um, I mean, I was never really one for doing a lot of self-promoting or advertising. I mean, I think young people now are so good at doing that, you know, with their social media and stuff. It's much easier to do it now, much, much easier. When I was getting into the industry of like 16, 17 years ago or something, it was so hard you really had to kind of network yourself and push yourself and and be at the right place at the right time and just turn up and be good and be nice and be helpful you know before you know it if you are um if you're loyal to people mm -hmm. and if you're loyal to brands and photographers and stylists they really appreciate it eventually they'll just maybe suggest you for something else and then that person becomes a new client and you always meet people on set. So it could be, uh, you know, someone like Annabella. It could be someone that has their own jewelry range or a handbag range and they need someone to do something. So it's just that kind of networking without feeling like you're being pushy. You know, no one likes someone that's too cocky or too pushy. It's not, <laughs> not really my thing. So, you know. I'm nodding because I know you as a friend and I know your personality. You are you know you are very humble and when you said i didn't push myself i didn't promote myself i understand what you mean by that because you are very humble and quiet quiet confidence as they say but one thing you mentioned it's your hard work ethics this is what you bring to yeah. the table as well it's so important, so important. And I was talking to a friend, you know, I think during lockdown, we, we all kind of realized that it's really important to find your tribe. Yes. And I remember say, hearing people say this for years and years, and I was kind of like, well, I've got my tribe. I've got my tribe, you know. I suppose everybody that I work with that I like, I suppose that's my tribe. But it's actually not really true because you realize in this business that you you know the fashion and beauty industry fashion industry specifically can be really cutthroat it's yeah. brutal um there are a lot of <laughs> not so pleasant people in the industry <laughs> um 
unfortunately i've met a few we've all met a few yeah you know absolutely. but there are also some absolute gems in the industry as well you know so i think you just have you over the years you kind of weed it out and you realize some people are maybe not your cup of tea and you kind of step back a bit from that you know from that sort of clique and eventually you will find your tribe you'll you'll find the people that you like that you trust that you think are talented when you gel together that's that's great and that's i think why people tend to work together for years and years because they know that they'll you know turn up they'll turn up on time they won't let them down they'll do a good job and that that's why when you look at you know certain photographers they've kept the same hair and makeup teams for years and they'll have backups they'll have people that will come in and float and you know come in and out but they'll they'll always have that little team that they trust interesting you know i i mentioned in my introduction you work with celebrities with top fashion magazines with renowned beauty and fashion brands how did you get to work with them eventually how did you build that particular profile well it's all been very organic i mean i know i know a few people in the industry who've always had that goal so some fellow artists they seem to have always had the ambition or that goal to kind of you know be a global ambassador for dior or whoever or for mag or whatever it was and that was that was a mission for them for me i did honestly didn't really think about it that much it wasn't a box that i thought i had to tick but i think that's also because it was plan b for me because you know i spent years concentrating on on my first craft which was the sort of performing and the acting so for me it was the drama side of it you know theater and film and things like that so when i became a makeup artist kind of almost by accident it wasn't competitive for me so i i never looked at the industry and thought i've got to be better than everybody else or how can i make sure that i get that job and he doesn't or she doesn't or something it was it was never a competition for me and it was just about setting some goals for yourself maybe so you know be a bit better at this you know refine your technique for this you know um do better skin do better you know be more um, creative or something like that so it's little goals that you would sort of set for yourself and then when i when i ended up being offered the sicily ambassador role a few years ago that was also really organic i never thought that i would be an ambassador for a brand really i never really thought about it honestly but i had been you know gifted some sicily products um from one of the pr events years and years and years ago the sicily liaison sera um we we obviously hit it off the first time we met i was also working with some clients that sicily they were on their radar as well so there's a few models and and sort of celebrities that i'd been working with for years that sicily knew so there was lots of little reasons why it made sense so i'd started sort of doing they'd asked me to do a couple of events for them and and sort of be part of some uh, you know creative elements and and things like that and then one day they just called said could you come in and have a chat well <laughs> we'd like to have a chat with you about something and i thought oh what have i done wrong the immediate thing was like was i not supposed to say that that product was out whatever anyway so i went to have a chat and they said uh, we'd love you to be our first um uk ambassador and i was like whoa so yeah that was the shock and it was really flattering because it was a brand that i still love today i mean it's such a great brand yeah um, and i genuinely genuinely loved the products and the makeup so it was it was a really interesting time as well while it was when sisley were trying to make their makeup 
as equally as important or known as their skincare. So it was a really interesting time. So got to play a lot and kind of be involved in some of the, you know, brushes and concealers and things that were coming out to sort of uh, help Christine and the, the Sisley family with that. So it was really good fun. And I'm still obviously in touch with all of the girls and everything, which is really nice. So yeah, that was very organic. <laughs> it was really not planned at all. You know, as I'm talking to you and you are describing your journey to me, I'm also, there is a lot of naturalness going with the flow that happened in your career. But Tanya, this is how you also do makeup. Very natural, without forcing anything. You know, I just thought there is a similarity maybe between your style of your makeup. Yeah, you're right, actually. I never really thought about it. I just love women to feel like the best version of themselves. Yes, you know, yes. a lot of makeup artists are known for doing incredibly cool stuff. A graphic eye, a glitter eye, flowers on the eyes and all sorts of stuff. And I have had to do those things for specific jobs, obviously. But I just love getting uh, someone in the chair who is, you know, maybe um, tired or jet lagged or feeling a bit blah. <laughs> you know, and they're off to a red carpet event or whatever it is, and they just oh, my skin's really dull, I don't know what to do. And I just love having that half an hour, or if we're lucky, 45 minutes or something, in the chair, finish the makeup, make them look amazing, and then when they look in the mirror, they just go, oh, wow. Exactly, exactly. I know, <laughs> I, I'm very lucky to have experienced it. I'm, I'm trying to remember how many years ago, it was my 27th birthday, now I'm 43, this was many years ago that we met for the first time. And those of us who are listening to us, Tanya did my wedding makeup. And I wouldn't have anyone touch it because <laughs> for, for sentimental reasons, but also for your skills as well, but also sentimental reasons because I've known you forever. Yeah. <laughs> and I felt like when I was getting married, you have to be there. I remember we joked about it, didn't we? Yes. Yeah. Years ago, I said to you, right, if you, if you get married one day, if you want to get married, I said, I'm, I'm going to do your makeup for you. And we just laughed about it. And uh, and then, do, do you know what, Lunari? I thought you were gorgeous that day. The whole day, the whole way, the whole weekend, it was magical. Like, mm -hmm. absolutely. That light in Provence, the dream light. I mean, my goodness. Like, everyone should get married in that light. <laughs> <laughs> It makes the skin look, I mean, no matter what you did, there, there's no shadows, there was no dark angles, there was just gorgeous, and you were, you were beautiful. Uh, it was such an amazing special day, like, you know, I, I, I was actually, you know, not to divert from our conversation that much, but I never was a big I didn't think I will have a big wedding uh, even you know to Brian I was saying we don't need to have a wedding just let's go to the to the court get married uh, thankfully he insisted and the most special memory in my oh, life it was amazing definitely. to have everyone there it was yeah. just great fun yes great fun. Oh. So to, to get back to the to our uh, <laughs> <laughs> I forget we have listeners. Oh, I know, I know. I feel like yes. I'm just talking to them. Um, good thing. But, but that, that actually, your wedding makeup, that's the kind of stuff I love to do. And it's yes. so simple. Very natural. Very natural. 
Yeah, I, I kind of never, like it's the same for me as well. Like I never want someone to, uh, my like my worst fear is to do someone's makeup and then you hand them the mirror and they go, oh, it's nice, but it's a bit too much. Yeah, that's right. That's like nightmare scenario for me. So what I usually do is kind of midway before we finish, mm-hmm. when I think it's enough, and I'm not quite sure if they're going to want a little bit more. I'll hand them the mirror and I say, go to the daylight and, ha- you know, have a little look. And I'll hand them the mirror and I'll say, is it, I would stop here. Mm-hmm. But if you want some more, can we go back in and tweak? So let me know. And and most of the time they go, nope, that's great. That's perfect. Occasionally they'll say, maybe a little bit more in the eye or something or more blush or whatever so I think the idea is to just you you want to look at yourself and feel healthy that's youthful a little bit sexier you know so maybe it's like a sexy lip a sexy eye or a little lash or something like that um it's all about those fine you know tweaks basically so it's always a good idea to look in the mirror and just stop and then go into different you know, different yeah. light, daylight, yeah. uh, fake light or whatever it is that you're going to be in at nighttime or something. So, yeah, that's um, that's what I love to do. <laughs> Just that, <laughs> you know, you talked about the very beginning of your career, how everything just flowed and you went with the flow in a way. Did you, I was just curious as I was listening to you, did you face any challenges in the beginning? How did you overcome them? And are you facing different challenges today now that you are basically established well I mean I suppose established and established I mean I I mean look there are there are certain people certain in the industry who are established to the point where they're a household name or everyone in pretty much most countries knows you know knows their name or knows who they are I could throw out lots of names you know Charlotte Tilbury Pat McGrath Mary Grimmel Bobby Brown, you know, Brat, Laura Mercier, brands that have been around for years, make parts for years, you know, they to me are established. You know, mm-hmm. I'm another makeup artist in the business who's, you know, doing her thing, <laughs> part of a big group of uh, artists in the industry, at least in the UK, you know. So, but in a weird way, like if you're, I, I'm based in London, but everyone's global, if that makes sense, because. Yeah. Obviously, I'll have clients and, you know, pre, pre-pandemic, we would have to fly to, you know, wherever it is or France or, or, or somewhere for a shoot. So you're we're all global in a way, you know, if you have clients that need you to be in different countries or something like that. So a challenge is, I think, you know, when, when I was younger getting into the industry, the challenges were things like getting the clients, mm-hmm. keeping the clients, yeah, not pissing anybody off. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. you always I always say to my assistants um turn up on time but that means half an hour earlier than everyone else so if the call time says 9 a.m that means you get there for 8 30 you don't rock up at two minutes to nine and then start laying all your makeup out you get there half an hour before you know in the studio when everybody else is sort of walking in and sauntering in you're already packed and ready to go and everything you know unpacked or whatever so you know don't turn up late to the shoot that's the worst thing ever because you just feel stressed and then I think the challenge is as you kind of get into the business it's just adapting yeah so it's kind of like moving with the flow knowing your trends 
so you need to you need to look at the magazines you need to look at other people's work you need to kind of evolve within the industry so you can't just keep doing the same thing all the time you know that that gets boring and it gets boring for you and it gets boring for other people so no matter what your skill set is you still have to kind of keep moving with the way everything's going you know and adapting but i think the challenges the big challenges that we've faced obviously in the last year and a half or a couple of years with the pandemic and everything um the main challenge was to figure out how to stay in the industry how to work again how to keep being relevant mm-hmm. you know because i was never the kind of makeup artist that would be sitting at home blogging all day about you know products i like and skincare and things like that I didn't honestly it was just because I didn't really want to stare at my face all day yeah. <laughs> you know it's like I'd much rather have a model in the chair or or an actress or someone interesting that I could you know make up you know it's some some I, I can get it because a lot of influencers they're very attractive they're very beautiful and if they're good at applying makeup and giving tips and everything it, it's great because you do want to look at them they're very alluring you know but for me it was it was not very appealing to just sit and put makeup on my face all day so um yeah i mean you i i was kind of forced myself to adapt to that a little bit during lockdown so doing some instagram lives and things like that and uh, then i was approached by a couple of brands you know last year and this year to do some instagram lives with them so like suq one of my favorite favorite brands suq i absolutely love them and uh, we did a little instagram session together so they sent me all the new products and new collection and they were brilliant and they basically just said um do whatever you want nice like there's there's no agenda there's no rules just do the makeup live on yourself and the suq representative was with me as well on the live and the two of you will just do your makeup together at the same time and you'll introduce all the products and you can do whatever you want <laughs> so it was fantastic and uh, you know we ended up putting a bit of lipstick on the eyes and you know all sorts of crazy stuff so it was it was really good and i think again that was very organic so yeah. you know yeah i think those are the challenges we face now is trying to figure out how to have these uh, zoom sessions and and live things on social media where it still feels intimate that's right yeah you know so it's, it's it's not like a robot talking to you uh, you know it still has to have that element of sort of intimacy so do you think you will have more digitalness in how you are in your industry or it's going I to think in the industry I don't know for me personally I'm not the techiest tech savviest person um so that for me personally is definitely a challenge to be a bit more tech savvy so I'm kind of old school that way but I think there's some really cool things happening in yeah. the industry in terms of apps you know for the beauty industry for makeup hair and things like that as well i think some of the younger people that are coming in now are amazing at doing things like that you know we just had a, a professional beauty awards a couple of weeks ago another makeup artist friend of mine and there was there was about six of us as the judges and uh one girl that that won the paint and um, face painting category she was amazing and there were there two influencers and they competed to do the the best video basically doing their makeup for halloween and things like that oh they were just fantastic and within about two hours they had edited videos oh my gosh <laughs> brilliant so cool so 
yeah i think i think a lot of that will come into play yeah and what other changes i think before i started recording us you and i had a bit of a catch-up on the changes in the industry sustainability in particular and i want to talk on camera about it more because i think it's quite interesting what is happening not just in the fashion industry almost all industries but also beauty industry it's interesting because i get sent so many emails on a daily basis and uh, i've seen them i've seen the emails come in more and more and more now about brands that are being extra sustainable trying to get the carbon footprint down trying to be carbon negative Every other day there's emails coming in from, oh, hi Tanya, we just thought you'd like to know about this new brand and PR teams and things like that. I do love it and it's nice that it's happening more, you know, on a regular basis. I think what's happening still is that a lot of these young brands, uh, people have been over lockdown literally making, you know, soaps at home, <laughs> things like that. And they've eventually become quite popular and they're now selling them. So they've got their own company, started their own brand, which is great. But we can't leave it just to these new brands and niche brands and young boutique brands. It's not fair. And I think that the big companies, you know, the Unilevers of the world and all these brands that own other brands, these big companies, they are going to have to step up and really make a big difference because until those big brands decide to do that themselves, it can't be on a big enough scale like in terms of plastic uh wasting too much pack you know and packaging and things like that apparently there's a plastic uh someone just sent me something the other day which i thought was really interesting so they're basically going to kind of add on uh, extra costs for extra expenses to brands who continue to use too much plastic i see so yeah so things like shipping and stuff like that as well so that's good because eventually you know everything always changes when the money hits doesn't it when it becomes an issue about money um brands will eventually realize actually we're gonna have to start using cardboard or recycled you know more recycled products and things like that so i mean it's changing mm -hmm. it is changing and, and new brands right now who are coming out they are using to me they seem to be using a lot less plastic there used to be a massive massive waste of, of materials it would be just shocking and you know when you get sent things from from brands and pr companies and stuff and you know you've got a box within a box and then you open it up and it's wrapped in plastic and it's crazy you know so there's some fantastic brands like um codex lovely irish brand big fan of them since they first launched a couple of years ago they're doing some incredible things with packaging i mean it's amazing it's like all their tubes are made from sugar cane and they're upcycling everything and recycling and everything's their packaging is biodegradable some of their boxes are biodegradable they're working on some i think refill options as well when they send the soaps that they make in ireland uh, they come in it's almost like a rice paper so there's no plastic everything's wrapped in this kind of grease proof paper i mean that's how it should be moving on from now you know there's like almost no excuse for brands no this is amazing point because i I see the difference and I think we are moving to a better future. I hope so. I definitely see change in, from people I interview, people I work with. There's a lot more awareness and I hope that it continues. Right now, it's basically non-negotiable. I think, you know, sustainability is not a luxury. It's not an option. It, you, have to, you have to be aware of it. You have to implement it. 
I mean, it's really tricky because, you know, certain countries have been good at doing this for years. You know, Norway and Finland and Sweden and all those sort of Nordic countries, they've been so good. They, they've just always had that kind of packaging ethos, you know, the good ethics and, you know, it, it's normal to them. Whereas you get, I don't want to label other countries, but, like, you know, look at Korea even still, you know, all their little sachets of things, everything comes in the sachets. Yeah. And they would eventually be thrown away. They'll, in the wind, end up in the ocean, you know, end up with wildlife and, and get stuck in the birds. I mean, it's, it's crazy, the stuff that goes on. So all those, we just really need to look at that. But I, I think what actually needs to happen is that the countries and the governments, they need to have new laws. Completely. Until it becomes illegal to use certain things or until it becomes illegal to have X amount of percentage of plastic in your products or, or packaging, whatever it is, how can you regulate? It's impossible to stop yeah. it, you know, because some brands will just go, oh, well, you know, our, our bottles might be plastic, but they're in a recycled cardboard box when they ship them. So they're taking that box, but that's just, it's not good enough, is it? So I think until the laws actually change, it's not going to make a massive difference, unfortunately. This is very true. Very true. You know, uh, another thing I was curious to ask you, like, let's say someone, because I, I know I have listeners who want to start their brand in the beauty industry. I'm interviewing people as well on the podcast who have started their beauty brands. What's your perspective for someone who wants to start a beauty brand? What would your advice be? So the, the advice, it really depends what they want to start. You know, are they starting a skincare brand or is it a makeup brand? Are they making makeup brushes or uh, anything like that? You know, look, I think in general, if you're starting a brand, you have to really do your research because you might have the most amazing idea unless you research it you don't realize someone else has actually done it already. You just didn't know that it existed. So you have to, you have to find was it a trademark attorney. You have to put a patent on it. You have to make sure it's not, not already been done. In terms of your name, you obviously have to research it and make sure you're not taking someone else's name, all, all, all those kind of things. I mean, it's a lengthy process and you can't just kind of start it overnight. So there's a lot of prep, a lot of research to be done. But I think probably the most important thing is to not start something that's already out there yes it's already similar you know a lot of a lot of makeup brands uh whether someone like charlotte tilbury or you know i remember her saying years ago i'm not going to make any products or i'm not going to copy anything that's already out there because for someone like charlotte it was important like if there is an amazing mascara that makes your lashes 10 times bigger and it conditions them and it curls them and it lengthens them <laughs> And it stays on and it doesn't smudge. Okay, let's just, you know, elaborate for a minute. What was the point in Charlotte in making something like that if a million brands out there already had that? So obviously when you're developing your products, you have to think, is there something else out there that I can buy that's going to mimic what I'm about to try and sell? Because if, if there already is, then maybe don't do it. Maybe look at something else or give it a twist so it's slightly different you know, change the packaging so that the packaging is something like no one's ever seen before, you know, change the handles, change the color, change the look. You know, I, I would say if somebody was, you know, if it was me and I was trying to start my own brand just now, for example, I would really, the first thing I would think of is like, 
what's going to happen when it's finished and someone wants to throw it away? Can it be, is it biodegradable? Can it be refilled? Could they use it a few times and send it back to me so I can refill it for them? You know, things like that. Is it, will it be good enough quality that it can last a lifetime and then they can refill inside? You know, so all those things are really important, you know, and you just have to do something different. I think if it's, if it's a new brand, it's got to have a really catchy name or you really have to be one of the first people to have thought of that specific thing. Like we, you know, to this day, we still think, we still say, oh, can you pass the Kleenex? That's right. It's actually, you should be saying, could you pass me a tissue? But Kleenex cornered the market a million years ago and everyone thinks that a tissue is Kleenex, right? So, you know, it's all about being first in there and first to get that, that demographic and catch that audience. I think, I think that's so important. It's very hard. It's very hard very hard it's a uh, you know beauty and fashion these two industries not to try to plug in my new newly coming book but in my, in my <laughs> research and in my book i talk about the intersection of beauty and fashion and yeah. how these two industries are incredibly similar but when i was doing my research i found the characteristics of the entrepreneurs and the capabilities they need to have are almost like mimicking each other they are the same so it was it's a very interesting like both industries incredibly difficult to distinguish yourself to stand out to find something unique to find your competitive advantage it's because they are so competitive industries yeah it's very difficult yeah you're so right Neri. and it's also about it's about solutions it's about finding a solution to something so Look, makeup can be very superficial. Yeah. We don't need makeup or skincare to survive. We need water. We need food to eat. You know, technically we don't even need clothes. Look, <laughs> the world's coming to an end. We need water to hydrate and food. That's it, right? Makeup's, it's, it's all a bonus. It's all on the surface. It makes us feel better and it does some amazing things and skincare is great for us, but it's not something we need to survive. So you have to kind of look at the industry and find solutions. So whether it's, it's, whether it's um, you know, a fashion brand that have designed sneakers made from you know, trees or something, right? And it's all sustainable and it's amazing and they're most comfortable sneakers you've ever worn in your life, okay? So there's a solution for someone that wants to be sustainable and comfortable. So you know, the industry in terms of skincare or makeup, it's about finding solutions. So there are brands that, that help people with rosacea and acne and you know more active ingredients and they do really well because they do solve a problem so you know if you're going to make a new makeup product it's either finding a solution because it gives you full coverage and things like that or if it really doesn't do anything miraculous other than make you look good and feel good you have to convince people that it's solving a problem that's so true i always say what value do you bring why does someone need this? Exactly, exactly. And I think, you know, to anyone who is listening to us, wants to start a beauty brand, wants to get into the industry, uh, let's say, exactly, they need to focus on what problem are you solving? And it shouldn't be just because I want to become famous, I want to have a brand and I want to create this. It's, a, it's not going to, to be successful if, you know, this is the intention. Absolutely. 
it's a, it's a very, very good point that you made, actually. I mean, I think the issue now, though, is that, you know, without saying the K word, <laughs> you probably know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, look, there are certain people who become very famous for yes. not doing very much in the beginning or whatever it is, you know, luck, right time, whatever, you know, and obviously being able to milk it and become very successful financially, whatever, you know, there's there's always going to be a, a, a demographic and it, it might be a slightly younger demographic who's willing to part with their, their money for a product that has someone's name behind it, you know it's probably not the best eyeshadow in the world or the best lipstick in the world, but, you know, it's got a name behind it and they want to be associated with that person or that celebrity. So they'll give away their $15 or whatever it is, or, you know, 15 pounds to have that lipstick. And that's marketing genius. So you have to applaud people like that just for being clever, you know? (laughs) So there's a lot of that in the industry still, and that will always happen unfortunately but I think we we just have to kind of celebrate the new wave of skincare heroes I suppose that are coming into the industry now they're actually trying to do some good trying their best to really make sure that those you know microplastic tiny little things that are going to come from the the product don't end up in the ocean and it's expensive to do that it's pretty cheap to make a two two pound lipstick and sell it at Superdrug if you're a big company. Costs nothing, you know. Exactly. That lipstick that you buy for two pounds probably costs them about fifteen p twenty p to make. Yes, and everything else on top is their profit and marketing and staff and advertising all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it, it's think of that young brand, think of that person in their living room mixing up their creams trying to make a difference because it's sustainable like you have to kind of really support them those are the brands that need your help and need their awareness and whether it's whether it's magazines supporting them and and editors and things like that and makeup artists I think that's really important absolutely I always say sustainability is expensive yeah you know it's uh sometimes when I I had gave a seminar a few about a month ago and I said, made this statement and you know they the immediately the students think oh but I have the supplier I found the supplier it's not going to be that expensive to create a bag made from vegan leather let's say but it's this is thinking short term sustainability if you are really serious about it how do you recycle what's the upcycling There are many things. What about the people that you are going to employ? The manufacturing, everything is about sustainability and it is not easy to do. It's expensive. Like you said, it's much easier to just, you know, close the eyes and create a product that is, uh, doesn't really, is all all they care about is just uh, cheap, put some marketing into it. Yeah. about the microplastics or the environment and just get on with it but eventually the cost is much higher to us to the environment and we have to we have to keep doing our best absolutely i mean i i think when you look at the industry like, like taking outside the beauty industry just like um toy manufacturers for example you know they'll they'll continue to make toys with 
thousands of pieces of glitter inside that eventually break and go everywhere and, and that will end up in the ocean as well. Um, you know, and when we eat fish now, it's just, you know, we are eating what the fish are digesting and then in, inside that are the tiny, tiny, I mean, it's, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, every industry, not just beauty and fashion, they're going to have to really try to regulate what people can make from now on. You know, these uh, dolls with the, the dye pink hair and the bits of glitter everywhere and plastic everywhere and tiny little things that come off. So I think in terms of the beauty industry, they, in terms of packaging, a lot of people really, they need to rethink what they're doing. You know, is it really essential? Like a lot of it is just not necessary, you know. Another change I, I'm seeing as well in the, in the in addition to sustainability is the diversity. Diversity and inclusion, I think this is also very promising to see new brands coming in. I'm actually going to interview Noeli Michou from, uh, she's the founder of 456 Skincare and she basically started a melanin-rich skincare. It's uh, one of the first out there. And it's very interesting for me to, see this change in the industry because I just didn't think it was that much. I'm interviewing Matthew Herman. He started a brand called Boy Smells and uh, he, he, his term is, uh, it's a gender full brand. So right. a gender neutral and so on. We didn't have these conversations before. It's really interesting. There's, oh, I forget the name of it off the top of my head, but there's a store that's opened up in uh, Carnaby Street in London and it's just for men. I mean, actually anyone could go in, obviously, but it's targeted to men and it's for men's grooming. Yeah. So if you're a guy, you can walk in off the street, you can go and have your, uh, you know, a haircut, you can have your beard trimmed or shaving or whatever you need to do. And they'll also give you advice on hair products, skincare and makeup for men. So mm -hmm. you can actually go in there as a guy and say, look, have you got anything to cover up my spots? Can you help me with my dark circles? And they'll basically sit sit you down and say, look, let's, you know, they, I think they've got makeup artists there as well. And they'll say um, this product, you know, for your blemishes, whatever it is. So, so that's really good because it's opening up now to men, making them feel like it's normal to wear concealer. Exactly. And, and a bit of a bit of a tinted moisturizer, foundation or powder if you need it, you know. Whereas before it was sort of embarrassing for men to ask for things like that. That's so true. I mean, we're used to doing it for grooming, for uh, shoots for men and campaigns and red carpets and things like that. You pull out certain products that you need for men so it's invisible, but it covers up redness and spots and oiliness and things like that. So that's definitely changing, which is good. And, you know, luckily, luckily, when you look at campaigns now, there's such an eclectic mix of skin types and it's great because, you know, it used to be just be so it was embarrassing years ago. You know, you'd look at a big lingerie campaign and you've got your brunette, your redhead and your blonde. Exactly. You know? And that was for them ticking up. Oh, we've got redhead with freckles. That's different. You know, no, it's not. <laughs> be like, where's the gorgeous black girl? You know, where's the Asian girl? Where's the beautiful oriental, you know, porcelain skin with the like, you know, and I used to say to brands sometimes if you were working in a fashion side of the business I used to to work with brands all the time and they were quite good with that you know years and years ago and I, I would say to them you know it's really good that you are pulling in lots of different girls and guys for this because not everyone does it 
and it was quite important for them at the time this was years ago but I used to go on other shoots and think oh god there's like two white girls here ignoring such a big part of the population you know not everyone is white it's it's amazing yeah I mean finally finally it's changing but it took a whole movement (laughs) you know a huge movement to get everybody to kind of listen in the industry you know some people are doing it now because they're embarrassed (laughs) some people are doing it because they feel like they need to tick a few boxes but you know whatever reason they're doing it for at least they're doing it (laughs) you You are right you are right well thank you so much Tanya we I we are coming to the end of our conversation and uh Is there any advice you want to give to listeners? Just one advice before I ask you my rapid fire questions. (laughs) If someone could have given me some good advice when I was getting into the the beauty industry, fashion industry, I would love someone to have said to me then, don't trust anyone but yourself or your gut. Trust your gut. Because I think I usually have quite good gut instincts. Like I used to have, you know, and if I think something's off or someone's not to be trusted or something, I usually, I can always think, I should have just known, I should have gone with my gut because I was right. You know, um, look, it's a very competitive industry. There's always going to be someone waiting in the wings to try and take your gut, your job, your client, your contract, whatever it is. There's always going to be someone like that, okay, in the fashion industry and in the beauty industry. It's, it's pretty cutthroat. But as long as you go into it knowing that, mm-hmm. and like I said before, if you find your tribe and you surround yourself with what you think are good people, you'll be okay. But it, it, it's not knowing that because when you don't know things like that and you go into the industry being quite naive, thinking, oh, everybody's so cool and so nice and they're amazing and they're so loyal. <laughs> no, not. <laughs> they're definitely not, you know. Not everyone. So I think, I think if you go into it knowing that, you'll be you'll be in a much better position and you won't be so shocked when you get like stabbed in the back and you know all sorts of things that happen. You know, uh, I could I could count it on two hands the amount of times you know I've been kind of I would say let down or stabbed in the back. It just it's going to happen. Yeah, it's part, it's part of the game. Let's go. Part of, it is, yes, it's part of the game. It's part of the game. But my advice would be, don't trust anyone. Find your tribe. <laughs> Turn up on time. And just, you know, without being competitive, set some goals for yourself. And then also just enjoy it. Like, if you're just someone that's listening who just loves skincare and makeup and you're not actually in the business or you're in the fashion business, but you really love hearing about skincare and makeup, just, uh, you know, have fun with it, play with it, use some different colors, wear a red lipstick, you know, get out your comfort zone. There's a red lipstick for everyone. <laughs> We've tried a few reds on you, haven't we, Neri? I was just thinking that and Annabella telling me, you have yeah. to more red. <laughs> more red, more red. And look, I'm, I'm wearing a nude kind of peachy color just now, but um, in the summertime when you've got a little bit of tan, all you need is mascara, a bit of red lipstick, a bit of bronzer, done. You know, Great. it's the easiest you, thing to up in the world, right? You just gave us a makeup tip as well. <laughs> <laughs> Easy way out, you know. Yes. A, a bright lipstick changes everything. It changes your mood. It makes you feel better. It, it's an instant route to glamour. So if you're going 
from now that we're back at work, right? If you're going from the office and you get asked out on a random date or a, a, a dinner with friends or something like that, and you're feeling a bit, oh, you know, I've left my makeup bag at home or something. The best trick in the world is even if you have a tiny little makeup bag that you take with you every day, uh, pop in a red lip liner and a nice bright red lipstick. And honestly, two minutes in the bathroom, red lips on, like instantly you'll feel polished and kind of ready. Do you know what I mean? I'm going to try this. <laughs> Instant glamour. <laughs> There's a reason, you know, uh, during the war, when they had nothing, yeah, you know, no money, no food, no nothing, women would like barely leave the house unless they had lipstick on, because it mentally they felt ready for the day. You know, they felt like they'd made an effort. That's amazing. I didn't know this. Yeah, and and when you think about it, if you watch any of those kind of like British period pieces, the British British, you know, whether it's Keira Knightley or Atonement or whatever it is. You know, they rarely were seen without a, a strong lip. Yeah. Because it gave them that feeling of power. Incredible. You know, they might have been escaping the bombs and all sorts of stuff going off and depression and everything, what was going on in the world, but at least they had the lipstick on. <laughs> you know? Your lipstick's on, red lipstick. <laughs> lipstick. <laughs> Number one tip. Yes. Number one tip. My rap rapid fire questions. Yes. Three words to describe you. Loyal. Yes. I'd like to think loyal. Honestly, because I, I, I don't want to say anything and then and then and you're oh God, no. But I, will, I will say talented, down to earth, incredible friend, loyal. Oh, you. <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> What keeps you motivated? Just my love for the for the for the industry, I think. Yeah, just to see it change and evolve. Just, just the fact that I, I love, I love putting on makeup on people. I just, I love that canvas. I love getting the blank canvas and then changing it into something, something different. No matter who it is or what it's for, I just love that, like um, that little bit of a challenge. So, what and who inspires you? I'd say my mum because she looks amazing for her age. She's never done a thing. Never. She's had two facials in her life that I sent her to. <laughs> She's never stuck a needle on her face. She's never done a thing. She looks amazing. And also just like, uh, just watching her with her pink, you know, hot pink Estee Lauder lipstick and stuff like that over the years. She also just loves makeup. She doesn't wear very much of it, but she loves the whole routine of it and the application and things like that. You know, and she used to do a bit of modeling when she was younger. So I've, I've seen so many pictures over the years of her with her, you know, her hair up and a tiny little bit of mascara or eyeliner. And, you know, that was it. Um, so I'd, I'd probably say my mum, actually. Yeah. Is there, I know this is a difficult question, but I want you to pick one desert island. If you're on a desert island, one must have beauty product. Okay. It would have to be Antipodes. Ah. Savior balm. Okay. As in, so it's a balm for your, your lips. There's nowhere on your body that you cannot use this except for right around your eyes. So if I'm if I'm on a job, I'll use it for, for the lips and um, cuticles. Yeah. Knees, elbows, body, hair. Really? So you can take it, you can rub it in your hair, uh, like a serum or a wax. 
you can sort of set the eyebrows with it. You can use it for a little bit of gloss on the cheekbones. You can mix it with, I mean, it's an amazing product. And it's, I think it's 98% organic, 100% natural. Antipodes, lovely brand from New Zealand. And I've literally been using that product in my kit, obviously a new one, <laughs> um, 15 years, something like that. Wow. Come in a huge tub that lasted you for about a year and now it comes in a little tube but i tell you why i take it on a desert island it's good for sunburn so if you, if you had a really bad burn you could pop it all over your skin to to calm it down you could use it pretty much all over the body uh you know it's, it's for kids it's good for things like nappy rash really bad chafing cracks lips everything you know like I even use it on set to help the models get the earrings in sometimes. I'll pop a little bit here. So in terms of Desert Island, that would be it. You sold me on it. I'm going to get one. <laughs> one thing. <laughs> I'll send you one. Oh, thank you. And can you pick a favorite makeup product? This is really tough, actually. Um, I would have to say a concealer. Mm, yeah. Because if you're clever and you know what you're doing, you can use it to you can use it to hide dark circles, obviously. If you put some moisturizer on, you can then add a bit of concealer and then you can kind of, you know, uh, turn it into a tinted moisturizer. On set, sometimes I'll put a little bit of concealer on the lips to calm down a lip that's quite pigmented already. So wow. to take neutralize that lip color before I apply something pale or, or gloss, whatever. You could even cover up the eyebrows with it if you wanted to do like a bleached brow. Mm -hmm. I've used concealer on the eyelids. I mean, you name it. It's it's definitely for me like a multi-time. I would find that no matter what kind of makeup look I had to do for a job, if I didn't have a concealer with me, I'd, I'd struggle. Wow. So... You know, whether I have mascara or blusher or lipstick or something, without that finishing touch of the concealer to kind of blur and erase everything, it, it's, it wouldn't be finished for me. And my last two questions. These are a little bit more personal. What do you want to be remembered for? Just being easy to work with, I think. Just, you know, just to be nice, I suppose. Yeah. I'm not the kind of makeup artist that people go, oh my God, remember when she did that insane, you know, glitter brow and the feathers coming out of the head, you know, that's not me. So yeah. I just think, I just like people to go, yeah, she was really nice. She <laughs> burned <laughs> <It> up. <laughs> you know? What advice would you give to your 18-year-old self? God, that's really tough. I don't have any real, I don't have any real regrets. You know, I've, I've done lots of different things and had a few different paths and yeah. sort of ended up doing this. So I don't, I don't regret that. Like I don't, I don't regret not doing makeup since I was 18 or going to college for it or anything like that. The only, the, the advice I'd probably say to myself, to 18 year old self would be more like find one thing that you really enjoy and you think that you're good at and focus on that. Like you can do lots of little things on the side and stuff like that, but focus on that. And you might not do it forever, but for now, just focus on that. You've done that with makeup. Well, well now I did. Yeah. You know, yeah. when I was 18, I thought I was just going to, you know, 
be on stage and I loved the, the, the whole process of getting a script and learning the lines and being with other people and stuff. So that was my thing that I was sort of focusing on. Obviously, I ended up with plan B, which is great. But I think if it was me giving advice to someone younger, like an 18 year old, I'd say find something that really interests you and stick with it until you are like the best that you can be at that one thing. That's brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tanya. <laughs> Thank you, Mary. I think we need to. Uh, I think we need to flip it next time so I can talk to you. <laughs> I, bet, I would love that. <laughs> and the viewers can hear all about Neri and and your journey and. Uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yes, of course. I would love that. <laughs> okay. Amazing. Thank you, Neri.